We're going to read the Bible together now, so if you'd like to grab a red Bible, open it up to page 1090 to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Page 1090 of the red Bibles. Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Everyone, I encourage you to leave those um, Acts chapter 1 passages open so we can refer to them as we go. Good to have Matt back, isn't it? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this part of your word, which is not only exciting and for which there's a lot of anticipation and expectation of what you will do and how you will do it, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds so that this whole series might be something which helps us to grow in our faith, helps us to grab um, a better overall view of what you're doing in your world and which give us more reason to give thanks and praise to you, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the cricket's on. Hands up if you were watching it last night. I thought so. I thought so. We watched a little bit of it. Um, Their teams have all been chosen, and they've done all their preparation, and now they're in into the affray, as you might might say. And uh, they've all got a task. Their task is they've got to win the Ashes for their side. And um, we watched a bit last night, and the 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 pom sorry the English people, the English team, were creeping up and then matched Australia's score, and we're thinking, oh, they're going to go on and get a huge score. And all of a sudden, bang, 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 three wickets fell just like that, <laughs> which was uh, marvellous. <laughs> sorry to any English people out there in the profession. Um, I don't know what don't know what happened after that. I went to bed, <laughs> so you, you probably know. 
That's an ongoing series. We don't know the end of that, what the result's going to be. Well, we're starting a brand new match today, brand new series on the book of Acts. When I say match, it's, it's always, um, as you see, um, a wrestle between God and those who oppose him. You see it all the way through the book. As you see, marvellous and incredible things are going on. We're looking forward to, um, to, to charting our course through that, that period of time. We won't be watching it live, of course, like the cricket, but I suspect we will still get caught up in the action as we watch God, if you like, take spiritual wickets um, and change the course of many people's lives. On occasions thousands at a time, on occasions one at a time, but many people's lives. And uh, this sermon's a bit different today. It's really designed to try and help us get, the, get into the context of Acts so that we can appreciate the rest of the series. So if it's a little bit different, um, uh, that's just uh, the way it will, will come over. Um, now, um, there are a few things we need to just to sort of get hold of before we move on. And the first thing is this, that Acts is really Luke part two. Um, when Luke wrote his, his gospel, he had in mind um, another book coming out of it. I don't know who you love to read, but uh, often I'll read a book and it's, and, and it's obvious that it's pointing towards another, another book and I haven't found it, so I go looking for it. And I'd read it if I can find it. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. Well, Luke wrote Luke and then he wrote Acts. So he wrote both. So if you go right back to the beginning of Luke, where he so carefully points out to you and me that what he's writing is utterly reliable... Uh, that applies not just to the gospel, but to Acts as well. You'll, you, you will have noticed in the beginning of, of Acts that was read, um, that uh, Andrew read out for us this morning, um, that he referred again to Theophilus. And the beginning of Luke, he refers to Theophilus. Theophilus, if you like, is the, whoever he is and whatever he did, he's the one Luke says he's writing for, as well as the rest of us as well. Um, let me just take you back to the th sort of points he made as he wrote that first book, his gospel. Um, he claims to be an accurate and reliable historian. You know, that's been doubted in the past. Uh, some Christian <laughs> uh, writers uh, said, no, Luke's a really poor historian. You can't rely on anything that he writes. Uh, but historically, step by step by step, as they uncovered archaeological digs, uh, the names of places and which had dates on them and references to cities and who was um, in charge of, of Judea at what time, they started to see that the one who had the history under control was actually Luke. So Luke's actually a reliable historian. Um, he says to us that to get the material that we have in Luke and in Acts, he went to the original eyewitnesses so that they could tell him exactly what happened and he could gather the truth about Jesus. He was at pains to do that. He says he carefully investigated everything from the first. Carefully investigated. He wrote in an orderly sequence, which is good. I'm, I'm somebody who likes order. I, I can understand it better if it's ordered. And his aim was to give Theophilus and everyone who read the book... Um, 
certainty about what they were teaching. So that was his aim. He wanted you and me to be certain that as we read Luke and we read Acts, we are reading uh, reasonable, accurate, fair history, um, historical accounts. That's the first thing. Luke is Acts, sorry, Acts is Luke part two. Now the other thing we just need to keep in mind is that this account, it makes a fairly brief reference to the ascension of Jesus. Um, the ascension, we're not going to talk about the detail of what it meant in that today, but just to say that the ascension was really the boundary between Jesus' ministry while he was physically there on earth and Jesus' ministry after he had gone to be with his Father in heaven. So Luke and Acts is all about Jesus' ministry. That's the fundamental focus of those books. It, does, it doesn't suddenly change from Jesus' ministry in Luke to the ministry of the disciples in Acts. It is Jesus' ministry all the way through. Remember what he said to Peter? Um, he, he, after Jesus had confessed him to be the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus said, uh, on your confession, I will build my church. And that's what he was doing in Acts. So, um, uh, that it forms the boundary. So Luke's gospel finishes with the ascension of Jesus into heaven and Acts effectively starts with the ascension uh, into heaven. Um, Luke's gospel is the account of Jesus' ministry physically, his birth, death, resurrection, and also during those 40 days, 50 days after his resurrection, where he kept coming and going, coming and going to heaven and to earth, uh, as he appeared to his disciples, remember, sometimes just one of them, sometimes to the 11, on one occasion to 500, he kept coming and going. But the, the ascension marks the point where he stops coming and going. He, he goes to be with his Father in heaven. And he comes to us in a different way. He comes to us through his Holy Spirit from that point on. But he's exercising his ministry, only it's now from heaven. That's important just to get that under our, our view as well. Um, so let's check on Luke's focus on the apostles uh, as he works through them in the rest of chapter 1. Can I just say that, okay, um, you, you might, when you read the book of Acts, you say, well, who's Acts? Well, you know, what's that all about? Well, if you want a, if you want a long but probably accurate <laughs> title for the book of Acts, you could have something like the Acts of the ministry of Jesus by his Holy Spirit through his apostles. Or just call it the book of Acts. <laughs> you know, you can, you can choose. But that's really what it means uh, when we say the book of Acts. So um, that brings us to, to chapter 1, verse 6 to 8. Now here we come to the heart of this little passage and to the heart of the entire book. I put it that way. It's it's so important that we see what's being um, how the the apostles are being commissioned here, verses six to eight, and particularly verse eight. You will be my witnesses. Sent under our theme, sent to be my witnesses. That's the commission Jesus gives them, and that's the motivation for the entire book. Now, we'll talk more about its implications in a sec, but before Jesus could develop that and apply that and, and, and um, 
just in a sense dig that in with the disciples, he had to put them straight. He had to put them straight. Um, If you have a look at verses 6 and 7, the apostles come with this question, Lord, will you at this time, in other words, now, restore the kingdom to Israel? And they probably had expectant faces as they said that to Jesus. And you can just hear Jesus, in a sense, groaning. (laughs) Groaning and saying, oh, you still don't get it. You still don't get it. What are they saying? They're asking him, will what we had before be given back to us now? The nation of Israel with its physical boundaries over this area of land that was so... Um, well-known historically, are we going to get that back under your leadership? Um, And is Israel going to become the focus um, and the centre of all of of historical uh, narrative now, as as we felt it was before? And are you going to do it now? And Jesus qualifies and corrects what they're saying by, by saying this, no. No, because I've been teaching, and Luke refers to this, I've been teaching for the last 40 or 50 days and for the three years that we were together uh, previously about the kingdom of God. And I taught you that the kingdom of God is not about a spatial area. It's about wherever God applies his rule to the hearts of people. So when you became a Christian, God applied his rule to you and to your life. We talk about the lordship of Jesus. That's what we're talking about. The rule of God in the name of Jesus in our lives. Now that happens every time somebody becomes a Christian. God extends his rule. And that's what he's doing across the world, extending his rule uh, so that wherever um, his, his spiritual rule is, is affected, there his kingdom grows. They needed to understand that. The other thing was, Israel, which had been so prominent in the Old Testament, uh, has now morphed into the world in this context. They're not going to to be preaching the gospel, being Jesus' witnesses in Israel alone. But do you see what he says to them? You will be my witnesses. Where? Where? Just in the suburbs of Israel? No way. In Jerusalem to start with, but then in Judea, out in the circle around Jerusalem, in Samaria, further out in the circle around Jerusalem, and to, in fact to the ends of the whole, whole earth. Your message is not just to the Jews and the people of Israel, your message is to the world. And they needed to just grasp that at heart before they could really do what he was asking them to do. And that's important for us to understand. Jesus' message, his truth, his call to you and me to be witnesses in this is to everybody. There are no little pockets that we don't go to. We go to everybody as opportunity presents. Once they got that on board, then he could set the focus of their coming ministry. Verse 8 one, uh, the second part of verse 8, his commission, you will be my witnesses. Now, he said that to them in Luke's gospel right at the end, 
Luke 24, 48, if you want to look it up later on. Uh, Matthew records these words, very similar sort of um, call. Um, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you and remember I'm with you always to the end of the earth. And as we were reminded earlier on from John, uh, behold, I send you. Behold, I send you. Same theme. In all the Gospels, here it's made so crystal clear. I, I was um, driving, I went into Parramatta one particular time. I um, borrowed somebody's car to do it. I just forget what I was doing. But I was going home in one of the back streets. And as I approached a crossroads, um, a car came the other way. There was one car in front of me, to get this right, one car in front of me. I was behind him, there was a car coming this way and all of a sudden he just turned in front of the other car. The other car hit him full on. Uh, and the, the car span around and missed the car I was in by, you know, by that much, by about that much. And once, I, once the adrenaline started to subside, <laughs> um, I thought, hmm, okay, I better go and talk to the police who'd arrived <laughs> and tell them what I'd seen because I was a witness to what had happened. You'd probably have had a similar experience in some context. These men and women were to be witnesses of what they had seen and what they had come to know. Now, we haven't seen Jesus face to face. We will one day. But we have come to know and to love him in confidence and in truth. And we share that with those as God gives opportunity to us to do that. That's what he's been preparing them for for three years and particularly over the last 40, 50 days. And that's what we're going to watch them doing during this series. And we're going to see powerful, moving sermons from some of the key leaders. We're going to see them um, unyieldingly taking a stance for Christ. We're going to see people's lives turned upside down and we're going to see a new and vibrant church growing. And all this will be in the face of a growing anti-Christian voice and sometimes violent opposition to the name of Jesus. Rings a bell, doesn't it? Hmm. Is that not the, t- the time in which we live? A growing anti-Christian voice and sometimes violent opposition to the name of Jesus? It seems to me as we read through Acts that in so many ways the community and the time of Acts parallels our own. And so we can perhaps more easily see the applications of those scriptures to our time. But here they are. You can imagine their growing sense of expectation. Jesus has been t- telling them that God has something incredible about he's about to do. They're not, they don't know the details. They have this strong expectation, probably nervousness as well. What's this going to involve us in? How are we going to cope with this? God has in mind something really, really big. We can see that. We just don't know what, it's, what the detail is. And Jesus tells them they have to wait. And he makes them wait for 50 days before anything happens. Well, as they waited, they prepared. And preparation for them meant three things. We'll finish with this. 
I think there's good hints here for us as we prepare to be better witnesses to Jesus. The first thing is they needed to understand the time frame. Um, there they are, they're standing there looking up into heaven. Jesus has just gone into heaven. They've seen him on the cloud. and The cloud has a special significance. The Old Testament, God was in the cloud. That's, we're not going to talk a lot about that right now. But there they are, they're standing there and they're looking up as if, almost as if to say, well, um, hopefully Jesus will be back in you know, a day or two like he has been doing. That wasn't to be. And they're challenged by the two angels who appear next to them. They address them. And as they address them, they give them a time frame for the period in which they are to be witnesses. They say to, to them something along these lines. You've just seen him go right now. He will return the same way. Until Jesus returns, witnessing to Jesus is your ongoing task. So don't stand around, get on with the job. That's the gist of what they say. It must have sort of um, made the disciples stand up a bit. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but that's, that's what they said. We cannot stand um, postulating what could be. We are to get on with the job. We've been called and commissioned by Jesus to be his witnesses. That's what we're to do. Get on with the job. Now, we know that the apostles were wonderfully faithful in doing that. The record tells us that. And we know that after they had died and, and gone and, and um, uh, spent uh, their eternity, continue their eternity with Jesus, we know that generation after generation continued to do what they had been doing. Many came to know and love Jesus. And that's all open-ended. We bring that all the way through to our own generation. We're caught up in the same time period the period between when Jesus left and when he will come back. That's the period in which witnessing goes on. It's called the age of the spirit and it's given other titles in the scriptures. But that's the period of witness. And remember what the, the apostles preach? Now is the time of salvation. Now is the time to respond, repent and believe the gospel. That's Acts 2, but I won't get into that because we'll hear about that next week. We are caught up in that. The words of those two men to the apostles also are firmly cited on you and me to get on with the job. So we understand the time frame for this task. We're told to get on with the job. And what did they do? Well, they went and got together and prayed. The whole lot of them. Was it 120? I should have checked that number. It's something like 120, 150. It was a lot of them anyway. The apostles plus the others, they united in prayer. And the other thing they did was they searched the scriptures to find out how God would guide them at this point. Now, what do they pray about? Well, here's an educated guess. You, you, could, you could suggest other things. If it was me, I'd be praying about empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Would... Would God empower me with the Holy Spirit like he'd promised so that I wouldn't be left spluttering and, and not with nothing to say when it came the point to talk to people? But he would empower me and he'd give me the words as he would promise and I could be effective. I'd be praying for God's guidance and for his direction and I'd be praying that he would keep me faithful 
under pressure. All those things they were going to need and they were doing it together as, as this new little community that Jesus was building uh, into a big, big church. And they understood that if they were going to go out and try anything on their own, without God, without prayer, they were going to fail. And they acknowledged that before him. The other thing is a little bit unusual. It's towards the end of the, the chapter. It takes quite a bit of, the, like the second half of chapter 1. They searched the scriptures and Peter stood up and identified something. They all knew that the 12 tribes in the Old Testament were pretty significant to the life of the, of the uh, Jewish community. The 12 sons of Jacob, remember, they came into the promised land and established areas uh, and then grew from there. They were an identifying, a key identifying mark for the Old Testament people of God. And Peter recognised, along with the others, that he and the 12 apostles were um, an identifying mark for the New Testament people of God. Not, not the Old Testament, now the New Testament. They were the foundation, the scripture actually calls them, the foundation upon which Jesus built his church. Peter saw that. And so he, he referred to Old Testament scriptures that said, we need to replace the one that was missing. He took that to apply to their circumstances. And so they asked God who that would be. And they knew God had chosen somebody and through um, the process they normally used, Matthias got the nod. So they completed the 12 apostles and they were ready as a team to go out and to be the witnesses of God, witnesses to Jesus. Now we're still in this spiritual match, aren't we? Although we know the, the end result, the big end, we don't know the end result of each um, match we play in the process. Each of us, though, is playing on the team. We've talked a lot about building recently, haven't we? How can we, as the Church of God in Willoughby, meet Jesus' challenge to be his witnesses? That's, that's an underlying question to ask as we go through the series on Acts. Our present community, as I said, matches the Apostles' community really carefully it really needs to hear his life-changing truth and be reconciled with him and who will point our community to Jesus if we don't so can I ask you please will you pray with me with Matt as we continue to read and hear about how Jesus built his church in those early days and continues to do so, that we will be more keenly motivated, more keenly moved to be witnesses, more effectively prepared to do the job, more prepared to be stretched in our faith and to move out of our comfortableness so that witnessing to Jesus will become a really strong mark of this church within this community. Wouldn't it be wonderful for people as they get converted to say to others, I became a Christian at St Stephen's, Willoughby. They care for where people stand with God. I know you do. May that voice be even stronger in the future. Let's pray. Please, Lord, um, show us how to get to where you want us to be, that we might be able to share the wonderful living news of Jesus, 
We ask it in his name. Amen.